Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Great, as always, to be together, and uh, the sunshine helps too. Amen. Yes, it does. Open your Bibles to Luke 11. Uh, last Sunday, Jesus taught us to pray. Hopefully, our prayer lives were uh, greatly encouraged uh, by our study. Jesus will go on to teach us uh, some more things here this morning as we start in Luke 11, verse 14 of God. Luke 11, verse 14. Jesus goes on, uh, the story goes on in verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that if that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Verse 20, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He goes on in verse 21, when a, man, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. And when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Verse 24, when an impure spirit comes out of a person and goes to arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Verse 27, Luke concludes this section here. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Look at three ideas here of God uh, that Jesus teaches here uh, in this particular section uh, of Luke. Uh, The first is he talks about the finger of God. The finger of God in verse 20. He mentions this phrase. Uh, This is a close-up. Anybody know what this is a close-up of? The Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. That is correct. And this is uh, two fingers, right? One is the finger of God in the painting on the Sistine Chapel. And one is the finger of Adam. The first man the Bible says uh, God created. Which, which finger is which? Do you know it? Do you know? Do you know which finger is which here? To, to my right here, whose finger is that? That's God. And the finger on my left is that of Adam. And which finger is straining more toward the other? The finger of God. The finger of God. And isn't that isn't that the story of humanity? God is always reaching out to us a bit more than we're reaching out to Him. And so it's a, it's a great uh, picture uh, of, this, uh, of this phrase that Jesus uses uh, in verse 20. Back up a little bit here in the text. Jesus drives out a demon from a man who is mute, and this man you know, begins to speak. And then his critics start to speak up, right? And Jesus is slandered here in verses 14 through 16. Uh, you know, his critics try to, try, try, try to talk bad about him, which is biblically what slander is. Uh, political strategies haven't changed much over the years, right? If you if you can't beat someone with, with the truth and the facts, just just say lies about them and hope people believe it. 
Uh, and that's why biblically slander is a sin. Uh, and, and why we should never allow that in the church, of course. Um, but it doesn't work here with Jesus. His critics try to slander him, but it does not work. And he challenges their slander in three ways. Uh, verses 17 through 18, he basically says, If I'm doing this by the power of Beelzebub or Satan, which is, those, are, those are kind of different phrases used of, of, of the, the prince of darkness, uh, Satan himself. He says, If, if, I'm, if I'm doing this uh, by his power, then his kingdom is divided. In other words, this is a logical this makes no sense. It's, a, it's, a, it's an evil civil war, in other words, which again makes no sense. Uh, the second argument he makes um, in, in verse, in verse, uh, sorry, let's find it in the text here. In verse nineteen, he says, "Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out?" Uh, we know from Josephus, who recorded a lot of Jewish history in the first century. Uh, his his uh, book called The Antiquity of the Jews, that, that the Jews in this time, they had a lot of uh, people who were paid men professionally to be exorcists of demons. And they believed that when those men exorcised a demon from a person, that that demon you know, had been driven out. So Jesus says, well, wait a second. You, you follow this teaching within your own religion, but you're not rejecting me for doing the same thing. So he turns their own, again, criticism back, back onto them and challenges their very beliefs uh, through, their, uh, through their slander. And the third thing here is... is um, in verses 20 to 22, he goes on to talk about if I drive out if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor which the man trusts and divides up his plunder. Uh, and so he he says, in other words, actually this is just a, an example of my dominion over evil, that I'm more powerful than it. And of course, if God created all things, and evil under his creation was allowed to exist, then God was more powerful uh, than that derivation of his creation. And so Jesus' power here uh, is being misunderstood. As a matter of fact, it's being lied about. Uh, but Jesus, of course, you know, even even when, when the lies come, Jesus can expose the truth quite quickly. And he does here, uh, you know, in the section that we just went through. Uh, and Jesus' power, you know, in the Gospels is often belittled, right, and misunderstood. It was true then, it's still true today, right? We don't always understand Jesus' power. You know, we may not get his power even today or even believe in his power, but that does not mean it is not true. We may read a passage like this and think, oh, this is just... Old superstitious beliefs. There was no such thing as demon possession then. There is none now. We can be skeptical of that, but that may not mean that it's not true. That, that he actually is not driving out demons, right? People used to believe that the earth was flat. Over time, we've proven that that is not true, right? Through science. Um, in contrast, people did not believe in Jesus' power even when he was on the earth. Yet nothing over time has disproved Jesus' power that we read about today. If anything, time has only proven His power. Look at our meeting today. One example of the power of Jesus. Uh, and so, so, power, so Jesus' powerful is, his power is, is obvious. It's clear. But I love what He calls it here in verse 20. He says, this is just a demonstration of the finger of God. And I don't know what that means. Jesus just looked to the man and was like, Boop, you know, and then all of a sudden He could talk. I don't know. But it's possible. But that's just how powerful Jesus was and is. Just the finger of God can produce a miracle, in other words. You know, the, this phrase shows up two other times in the Old Testament. Uh, it's used uh, to describe the inscription on the tablets. The finger of God inscribed the, the Ten Commandments on the tablets, and it was given to Moses. The other place it's used is uh, the Egyptian magicians are describing to Pharaoh 
uh, the activity of Moses, of the ten plagues, and they say, oh, this is the finger of God. And so it's always associated with something miraculous, uh, this phrase, the finger of God. It's a clear demonstration of God's power, in other words. And of course, Jesus' miracles are just that. You know, today, unfortunately, we don't have Jesus' literal fingers here. I wish we did. He can help my back feel better and help you as well. And uh, But we do have His fingerprints all over the room. We do have His fingerprints from the finger of God in our lives, in this church, and in this world. But again, the bottom line is, like the Jews in Jesus' day, we will not fully get that. We will not fully comprehend that. And if we could understand fully Jesus and His work, and if we could fully understand the finger of God and how powerful it is, it would at that point cease to be of God. For anything truly of God must be beyond our full comprehension in this life. Hopefully you followed that. I can repeat it later in person if you need that. But uh, it's just mind—it's just mind-boggling. Just think about how powerful Jesus was and is. That He just was going around just, 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 just through His finger, you know, healing people of their ailments. It reminds me of a passage I came across recently in Isaiah 55. Uh, verses 8 through 9. I was reading a book and it's quite interesting. It says there in Isaiah 55 verse 8, uh, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to us. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, I kind of get it. God, here, here's your way, here's my way, here's your way. You know, here, here, you know, here, here's my thoughts, here are your, your thoughts. I, we can kind of grasp that, right, uh, you know, at face value. But it's interesting, uh, he starts talking about as high as the heavens are uh, above the earth. That, that, that's the contrast, actually. So me doing this doesn't even come close. It doesn't even come close, right? Um, you know, through astronomy, we know kind of how big, at this point, the universe somewhat is in light years. Um, the furthest galaxies we have found in the universe so far through the Hubble telescope, this is one of the many pictures you can find online. Those aren't stars. Those are galaxies, by the way. Um, and so the, the furthest galaxies through the Hubble telescope that astronomers have found so far, they are, they are 13, oh, sorry. That's already up there, sorry. They are 13 billion light years away. The furthest galaxies we found through the Hubble telescope are 13 billion light years away. The other math on the screen there is the, is the speed of light. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Right? And so, so, so the, in other words, it takes the light from these distant, furthest galaxies, it takes it 13 billion years, once it starts going, at 186,000 miles per second, to reach us here on the Earth. That's how far it is. It's incomprehensible, really, uh, in many ways. And so now, you know, going now going back to Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9, our best thoughts about God and the way He works and who He is on our best day as humans still falls 13 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. That, amen. Yeah, that changes. That kind of changes Isaiah 55, 89 a little bit, doesn't it? And so, as we see Jesus performing these miracles, let's not try to analyze it. Let's not try to critique it. Let's just let's just take a step back and say, "Wow, how mighty is just the finger of God." We don't have time to talk about the hand and the arm. That's, we're just trying to grasp the finger right now. That's how awesome God is. 
And Jesus through and through the Gospels demonstrates this over and over. Where can you see the fingerprints of Jesus in your life today? Where can you see it? Because it's all around, as I said. And how can this give you hope for Jesus to work in your future? How, how can the finger of God give you hope in your future? So we got the finger of God. Second here, we got the house of God. The house of God. That's not what you think. The New Testament, you know, it uses many analogies for our lives. One well used is that of, of, of our lives being like a house or a building. So it's not talking about a church building, right? That's what we often think of when we hear the house of God today. Church buildings didn't exist to the 4th century. Anyways, um, Jesus, you know, he does that right here in verses 24 to 26, right? He compares a person to a house. And this person is someone whom an impure spirit has been, has been, has been driven out. And he's obviously comparing it to a miracle that he's just he's just done right in the previous in the previous part of the text, and he says that you know that spirit leaves and the house is made clean. Now he goes from person he goes from person in verse twenty four then to house. So he compares the person to a house uh, in verse twenty tw- the rest of twenty four, and then he says that spirit leaves and, and it actually comes back and finds the house empty and clean, and it brings back in because there's more room, seven more spirits with it. And the sad reality is, it ends by saying the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You know, this analogy can teach us a few things about ourselves for sure. The first is we are all getting filled up with something today. We're all we're all getting filled up with something today. You know, the Bible speaks of one thing you know that we shouldn't get filled up with, and something we should get filled up with instead. In Ephesians five, eighteen through twenty, says there, do not get drunk on wine. Which leads to debauchery. When we when we overdo things, it at some point becomes sinful, and that's why drunkenness is a sin because the alcohol is overtaking us and making us uh, be filled with something we should not be filled with. Instead, it says, "Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." And what's interesting about this is, is there's no such thing as an empty soul. The soul is made. That part, of, that, that part of us that longs and wants and needs, that's biblically what we call the soul, that is made to be filled up with something. And here it says, you know, in the church we're, we're going to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that's happened is, is we, we, we speak to one another. We sing to one another. And specifically, of course, I think it's referring to speaking to one another about God. And singing to one another about God. And so when we worship together, that's important because we're filling each other up more with God. That's why worship matters. When we speak to one another in the church, that you know, we're, we're supposed to be speaking to one another about God. That's an important aspect of what we should be passing on to one another. And again, that should be filling us up more and more with God and His Spirit. But of course, we can, we can, we can pour out other things to each other, can't we? Yes. That can do quite the opposite, sadly, even, even within the church, let alone go outside these doors. What is the world going to try to fill you up with the rest of today? What, you know, what is, what is the workplace going to try to fill you up with tomorrow? You know, what is the professor going to try to fill you up with at university? It's very rarely this. It's very rarely the goodness of God. But the goodness of God is what we're meant to be filled up with as Christians. What are we drinking up these days? Are we filling each other up with, with, with the good of God as we speak to each other and as we worship? So we see here that we are all getting filled with something. The other uh, important truth here is that Christianity is much more about filling our lives with good than avoiding evil. 
Christianity is much more about filling our lives with good than avoiding evil. You know, this passage could make us pretty paranoid. Well, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling spiritually clean. Oh no, that might mean seven more demons are going to come into me. And and my condition is going to be worse in the end than it was in the beginning. That's kind of a terrifying thought, isn't it? When you start to play that out. But but what is the point here? Again, the point is don't, don't, don't be empty. Fill your life with God's goodness. A great passage to just make this simple so we don't have to freak out. Uh, it's Romans 12, verse 21. Paul the Apostle says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just keep filling up your life with God's goodness. And you don't have to worry about those seven demons knocking on the door. Because when God's Spirit is filled up in us, there, there, there's not even a temptation there. And we're really being filled up with the goodness of God. You know, yesterday was an amazing day. It used to be, you know, and today's another one. And tomorrow, you know, where the sun is out. And you're just enjoying the goodness of God just through the weather. And in the UK, we appreciate that more than most places, I think, when it comes. And, and it's just, you know, you can feel it. And yesterday, I was wrapping up my sermon. And I'm out in the garden there, typing up my sermon, you know, trying to, you know, trying to be filled with the Spirit, the Word, and the Son at the same time. And having a, having a good time doing it. And, and Eva, you know, Eva, my youngest, she, she, wants, to, she wants to get wet because she's hot. She wants, she wants to run through the sprinkler. We don't have a sprinkler right now, so I figured out how to take off the nozzle of the hose and kind of get it sprayed everywhere and uh, kind of rigged it up in a bucket, you know. And uh, So she, she, she's going through it, but it keeps falling off, you know. It just keeps falling off, and she's having a great time. And, and, I, and I'm, just getting, I'm just getting wet every time I go over there, you know. I just try to get in there and, you know, get poured, you know. And, I, and I'm just getting annoyed by the water. And it was just such a contrast. You know, Eva's heart just... just Get me as wet as possible for as long as I can in my heart. I don't want to get wet at all. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna melt in the water. I don't know what. I was just reacting very negatively to the water. You know, and uh, worried about my iPad. Right? You know, I don't know what it was. You know, but it was just, it was just, it was just such a contrast. And it reminded me that sometimes I'm just too adult in my thinking. And I need to get a little bit more wet in my garden sometimes with my daughter. You know what I'm saying? Like literally. But spiritually, aren't we the same way? Spiritually, you know, oh, you know, oh, no, pour it on, bring it on, God, you know, get as spiritually as wet as possible, and let it, and let us enjoy it, let us, let us drink it up. God has so much goodness. He didn't bring you here today so that you could be discouraged. He brought you here today so you could be encouraged. He didn't, he didn't bring us here to, to leave empty. He brought us here to be full. And, and God's goodness, it, it's all around. So, so let's make sure our houses are getting filled up. Filled up with the goodness of God. And lastly here, the people of God. you got the finger of God, the house of God. And lastly here, you have the people of God. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to start to see... And encounter a, a, a really scary truth. The Jews in Jesus' day, they are God's people at this point in the narrative, but they're heading toward, once the new covenant ushers in, they're heading toward no longer being God's people. That's a terrifying, humbling idea. Because Jesus spoke of this uh, under the new covenant as well. And he actually said his, his own People who claim to be his followers will actually think they're his people, but in the end they won't be. It's a scary passage. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus says there, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, to someone who's professing to be a Christian, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. 
Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. That's a sobering passage. Because we can see the Jews with Jesus and go, oh, you know, what are they thinking? What are they doing? How could they not get it? But Jesus says there will be people who, who will... He doesn't argue about the miracles. He's saying they're even performing miracles in His name. Yet He doesn't know them. He doesn't know them. You know, what can we learn here uh, to not become these people who think there is something they are not? Well, I think there are two real distinguishing marks uh, of God's people in this passage that we can go after and really hold on to so that we are not those people who get fooled on the last day. Uh, you know, here in the text in Luke 11, verse 23... Jesus makes this statement. This, this section of text, you know, it, it grabs a lot of different ideas that Jesus preached. And, and so there's lots of points in here. I, only, I can only get a few out uh, for the sake of time. But Jesus says in verse 23, this is a very strong point. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And Luke 11, verse 23. So it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple formula, right? <laughs> if you're with him, you gather with him. But if you're against him, you scatter for him. In other words, there's no middle ground. You're either with Jesus today or you're not. You're either gathered with Jesus or you're scattered. There's no middle ground, but we love to live in the middle ground, don't we as humans? You know that picture of Adam, you know, the the lippy finger reaching out to God. We, We love naturally to live in the middle ground. And so this is a great, a great reminder that we, we can be those people of God. We, we can be those disciples of Jesus, but we've got to want to be with Him. We've got to want to be His disciples. And then we've got to want to go do what He's called us to do, which is to gather. And that could refer to a number of things. Certainly it's to keep the flock together, the sheep, to gather the sheep. We know Jesus was like a shepherd, but it's also certainly to, to go out there and, and save lost souls. Jesus was also, you know, of course, the Savior. Um, and so, so there's no middle ground here. And so, are you, are you with Him? Or are you something else? That, that, that's something to think about. The other thing here is in verses 27 to 28, this woman blurts out at the end of this, of this uh, little sermon, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And he replied in verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You know, if we're hearing Him, we're obeying Him. Anybody can come in here this morning and hear from Him, because we're going to promote what Jesus taught as a church. That's what we believe in more than anything. But, but if I'm really hearing Him, I'm obeying Him. So if I claim that I'm hearing from Him, and I claim that I'm a Christian, but I'm not obeying Him, that's, that's, that's something to be concerned with. And so really, if you take a step back, our discipleship, our discipleship is what really can help us to know that we are the people of God. Our discipleship doesn't save us. The Bible is very clear on that. Ephesians 2.8, we're saved by grace, not by works. But our discipleship is a, is a mark. It's, it's, it's a distinguishing mark that we are really with God. Because what, you know, what is really driving our lives, of course, will come out you know, in what we do. And what we're about. Yeah, you're a student. Yeah, you work a job. Yeah, you live here. Yeah, you go there. But, but are you a disciple of Jesus as you do it and as you go? So, so it's not really that complicated. You know, how can we know we are God's people today? Well, the, the students and the teens, they used to have sweatshirts, apparently, with like the baptism number, which not, but apparently that's falling away. So we don't know now with the 
students and teens. Maybe we'll revamp that. Maybe we'll revamp that. I don't know. Don't be insecure if you don't have one. But uh, my daughter's like, where are they doing the sweatshirt thing? We want a sweatshirt. But anyway, it's a little you know promotion from the pulpit for that, to re- revamp that. Shakira's here today. I think she probably has a sweatshirt from Birmingham. Shakira. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. You know, I'm wearing my, my, my Armor of God badge. Ricky, Ricky gave the brothers a, a great a great speech on being men of God uh, the other day and on loyalty on the Uriah the Hittite. And they said, I'm ordering badges for the brothers. And we're going to put it on. We're going to be men of God. And we're going to remind each other as we see those badges. So I got my badge on today. And I'm trying to stand with my brother Ricky in solidarity to, to be a man who puts on the full armor of God. I appreciate those things, but, but, but we can wear the badge. We could get the sweatshirt and not be a person of God. We all know that, right? And so one way for sure we see very clearly here is, is, is it's our discipleship. So I really want us to, to think about this. You know, how is my discipleship? When, when I hear Jesus' words, are they obeyed? You know, when, 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 I, when I'm out there, am I gathering with Jesus when I'm on the streets? In my neighborhoods, when, I, when I'm in that, amongst God's people, am I, am I bringing us together or, or, or tearing us apart? It should not be just doctrine that distinguishes us, but also our discipleship. It can't just be our doctrine; it has to also be the way we live. Am I a gatherer or a scatterer? There's no, there's no middle ground. Am I hearing and obeying or just hearing? There's no hearing Jesus without obeying Him. In other words, what is our standard? That might be a good way to conclude this. What is our standard? The word standard in the English language comes from this idea of flags. Back in the day before telecommunication, the, the armies would communicate mostly through flags. And they would raise certain flags and wave certain flags in certain ways to communicate on the battlefield what the soldiers should do. And we, we have that, that flag of Jesus today. His life, His teachings, that's our standard. There is no other standard. I'm not your standard, heaven forbid. The church is not your standard. Jesus is our standard. And our discipleship, our discipleship is what distinguishes us as people of God. And the world needs to see that. The world needs to know that. And our discipleship is a big part of that. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being here with us. We hope you feel uh, at home. But, But have you fooled yourself is a question I want you to think about. You're hearing the words of Jesus, but are you obeying them? We're glad you're here, but we want you, we want you to be a disciple of Jesus. And we want to help you be a disciple of Jesus. Please let us know if we can do that by studying the Bible with you. You know, today, you know, this week, let's be of God. Amen? Amen. You know, Jesus is always allows us and shows us how to do this. Three ideas along the way that, that, that will help us, uh, that we've looked at today from His words. The finger of God, the house of God. And the people of God in the Bourbon Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.